Today, we are going to begin a brand new series. Uh, this new series is called I Believe. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, you might remember that in the middle of one of my sermons, I, I kind of stopped us dead in our tracks and we did something uh, when we, as we were talking <clears throat> about confession and holding on to our, our confession of hope and faith in Jesus. Uh, we stopped right in the middle of our sermon and we practiced reciting something together that is called the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and, and so we did that, actually, I, I didn't tell you then that I was actually kind of setting you up for this series. At the same time, it was really helpful in the message that I was preaching. But I wanted you to hear that a little bit in advance and have it in your mind early, because today we're starting a series over the next several weeks. This is going to take us about uh, six weeks, including today, to get through the Apostles' Creed. We're going to take each Sunday and just walk through a, a specific portion of the Creed. Now, I, I just want to make sure that you know right off the bat that uh, the Apostles' Creed is not Scripture. It's not, you, you can't find it in the Bible, so I can't tell you what chapter and verse to go to, but it is rooted in or inspired by Scripture, and it's a really, I believe, excellent, uh, concise statement of some really important things that we believe as Christians. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later, uh, but, but maybe you would be well served if we, if we review what the Apostles' Creed is. Now, let me just tell you a bit about it, just historically. Uh, this might sound familiar to you. If you're familiar with this, that's awesome, uh, but there are, there are a couple of different creeds that the early church would recite and that they held on to as being really, really important. They were designed to help followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus to know what exactly they were holding on to as, as their confession of faith. They were also designed to protect the church from heresy. Heresy is the things that people say about God that are not true about God. And so we don't want any heresy. We don't want to do, the, we don't want to do any heresies at all. And so, so the creeds are helpful for us to kind of take all of these teachings of Scripture and have a statement of faith or a confession of our hope. Uh, so, for example, the Nicene Creed was developed in the mid-300s. It was actually first adopted by the church in 325 A.D. But earlier than that... Uh, maybe as, as much as a hundred years earlier, the, the Christian church, the leaders of the church had developed this language for this, this statement known at, that we now call the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we don't necessarily think that it was the apostles of the church, the, like the initial apostles that wrote the Apostles' Creed, but they called it that because it was this apostolic initial founding statement to to succinctly say this is what we say we believe. Now, okay, uh, before we go any further, let's actually listen to the Apostles' Creed. Just one thing that is important, and this will be the last time we say it like this, but in the creed that I'm about to read to you, at the end of our service today, by the way, we're going to recite the creed together. Uh, in, in this reading of the creed, there's, I'm going to use a particular word. The word Catholic will appear in the creed. Now, just so you know, that's not a denominational affiliation. Um, we are not Catholic people. We love our Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray for them uh, when they come to our minds. Um, and, and there's good reason to pray for our Catholic brothers and sisters. But uh, when, when we use the word Catholic here in the creed, we're not saying we are Catholic. The, the word Catholic here is an old word which means global or, or, or it's all of us. And so we are a part of the global body of Christ or the global church. So in future readings of this, just so I don't have to make this preamble every time we read it, uh, we're going to change the word Catholic to Christian. Because that'll be a little bit easier for, for our minds uh, and not have to remember, oh, yeah, okay, I remember what Catholic means. Okay, so that said, listen here to, this, uh, to the Apostles' Creed, the statement of faith from the early church that has been around for generations. We say this in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the everlasting life. Amen. I don't know about you, but I think maybe someone should write a song about that, and we should do that at church sometime. Hmm. It's almost like we plan these things. This is the Apostles' Creed. This is a statement that is, like I said, not Scripture, but these statements of faith, they are pivotal, foundational to our belief as Christians. And so we are, like I said, today starting this series through the creed called I Believe. Now today what I want to do is talk to you about the nature and the function of the creed. I want to talk to you about belief a little bit. And then we're going to get into what in the world do we mean when we say the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Why, why is it significant that we say these things? Now, the word creed is actually derived from the Latin word credo or credo, depending on how fancy you want to be when you pronounce it. Uh, credo or credo is the first person singular form of the Latin word, which literally means I believe. So say that with me. I believe. Okay, you just said the English version of the word credo. Now, if we were to say the plural version of this, we believe, which shows up in like the Nicene Creed, for example, uh, then it would be the word credimus. But we don't have credimus in the creed. This is a personal statement. Now, that is significant for uh, probably a lot of reasons. We won't take time to really, really unpack this. But I would just like to propose to you that it is significant that even though we will declare the creed together and we hold the creed, we hold to, these, to this statement of faith that I believe is important. It is important that I say these things, that I hold this confession of faith. Uh, because you will not get into heaven based on the merits of your communal faith. In other words, I cannot believe your way into heaven on your behalf. If I could, whew, we would have no problems in the world. But I can't do that. This has to be your belief. And so it's important that we say, I believe, credo, this is a personal creed. Uh, now, to that, to that end, actually, being about personal conviction of faith, not communal faith, uh, even though we say it in community, uh, the creed has actually been a part of what's called catechism. It's the process of helping a person come into faith for, for generations in the early church. In fact, many Protestant and Catholic believers will still recite the creed and memorize the creed. Catechism, by the way, is the, is, um, you know how you got oriented at your job when you started your job and they gave you an orientation? That's catechizing you into the job, right? It's just a, it's just an old school way of saying you got oriented. You knew the culture, the rules, the language, the policies, the things we do, the things we'd rather you not do, the things that if you do, you get fired, all of that stuff, right? Uh, it's, it's how you get catechized, you get oriented. So catechism is just to say you've been oriented into the Christian faith. And part of the catechism is to memorize the creed. And then actually for generations, a person would come into faith for all kinds of different reasons. Maybe they were raised in the church and then they came to personal faith. They went through catechism as a child. Or maybe they came into faith as an adult. And we still will catechize you. We just, in, in like modern American Protestant or, or, or charismatic churches like we are, you might call it a new believers class. Right? It's the same thing. We're just telling you the rules of the kingdom and how you got in here, how you stick around and how the things we'd rather you not do and the things that if you do, you certainly are not a Christian, right? Now, to, to say that this is a, is a reality was so important for, uh, for the early church. To say that this is the reality of my faith was so important. In fact, you would go through catechism, you would memorize the, the Apostles' Creed, and then at your water baptism, which was not allowed to happen until you were uh, in full agreement with being able to say, I believe and I will live into the Creed. And then you could get water baptized. And then you would actually declare the Apostles' Creed, and then we would dunk you under the water, uh, and then you, you get to come back up again. Uh, but but we, would, we would dunk you after you would declare. And it was a way of internalizing the, uh, the statements of faith and confessing this statement of faith into and over your life. And in fact, I, I would just like to say that that's exactly how we're going to treat this creed during this series. On March the 19th, that's the last Sunday of this series, we're going to have after service water baptisms. And so as you are listening to this series, if you have not been water baptized, 
then I want to invite you even now to begin to think about your own statement of faith. What is my personal relationship with Jesus? And on March 19th, we're going to water baptize some people who would be able to say, I believe. That's going to be a good celebration, so make sure you don't miss that, but there's some weeks in between so that you can know why all of this is important and what it is that they say that they believe when they get water baptized, and maybe that'll be you. Uh, And so with all of that set up being said, let's talk a little bit about belief. In fact, there's there's two important questions that we we can wrestle with as we talk about belief. Number one, what is belief and why does it matter? Now, belief is defined, just in in dictionary definition, belief is defined as an acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists. So something that, that a person accepts is true, a real, a firmly held conviction, a religious conviction is known as a belief, like our Christian beliefs. Uh, You can also say that uh, belief is defined as trust or faith or confidence in someone or something. We all have beliefs, all of us. Every single human being has beliefs. Now, in a statement known as Pascal's Wager, uh, Blaise Pascal actually proposes that belief is a wise wager. Granted that faith cannot be proved, what harm will come to you if you gamble on its truth and it proves false? If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then, without hesitation, that he, that's God, that he exists. So Pascal's wager is this. Being a believer in God can only make your life better. So even if it turns out the Christians are wrong, let's all just become Christians because it'll make us better people. And that's actually been used in, as an evangelistic tool somewhat effectively over the generations. I propose to you that while it's an interesting conversation starter, it is a terrible foundation for belief. It's just not enough, right? Blaise Pascal's hanging out with Jesus now in heaven, and so he's probably figured this out. Uh, I'm not going to be the first person to correct him as if he's going to be like, I was flawed in my thinking. This isn't a new idea. This isn't revelatory. But we do want to understand that when we talk about belief, we're pushing for something deeper than how do I get on the team that helps me be a nice human being. Because if the only function of our belief is just how do I become a good human, that actually is humanism right? And we're pushing for something deeper than that. The Apostles' Creed pushes us to something deeper uh, because the, the wager of let me just be a good person falls short. Ultimately, Christian faith is not built on the wager that Christianity might be right. Instead, it's built on the heart of Peter who once said to Jesus, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So belief is not a hope that something might be true, but a conviction that it is true. Belief and confession matters because Scripture does not only say believe in your heart and you will be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, Paul is telling us your, your belief and your confession must coincide. So something like the Apostles' Creed becomes incredibly helpful. The union of belief and confession is vitally important to our Christian faith. So when I say I believe, it absolutely matters because it is a statement of confession of what we call essential beliefs to Christian faith. In other words, there are non-essential things like, do you believe in speaking in tongues? At Life Church, we believe in speaking in tongues and we practice it. That's a different sermon. You can buy me a cup of coffee. You've got questions about that. But we also know that speaking in tongues is not essential, meaning if you don't agree that speaking in tongues is a present active spiritual gift for the body of Christ who is spirit-filled, then that's okay. You could still go to heaven and be right or wrong about that, be be in agreement or disagreement with us or with me about that. It's a non-essential. But if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you do not get to call yourself a Christian. Because that's an essential statement of faith. Because you must believe that. So confessions like the Apostles' Creed are not about holding opinions about God. They invite us to recite foundational truths that have been held by people that are like so old you don't even know their name. 
generation upon generation of Christians have declared the Apostles' Creed as a foundational statement of their faith. Like You don't get to be in the club if you don't agree with, the, with what the Apostles' Creed says. In other words, if we want to call ourselves followers of the same person, we must all believe the same thing. So belief and statements about our belief actually really do matter. The second thing I want you to wrestle with as we think about belief is, is this question that often comes up. Can I say that I believe if I also have doubts? Or if my life doesn't yet look like belief? Like if I'm still a work in progress, this actually happens quite a bit. I talk to people and ask them, will you give your entire life to Jesus? And they go, let me work out some of my stuff first. Forgetting that Jesus actually came for the broken and the sinner, not for the perfect. He's, he actually tells us that very clearly in his ministry, right? So the short answer, can I say I believe if I have doubts or if my life isn't perfect yet? The short answer is yes, absolutely. Your doubts are welcome here. Your work in progress is welcome here. Amen? Yeah. In fact, consider the father who came to Jesus in need of a great miracle. In Mark chapter 9, this dad brings his son to Jesus, and he, uh, he actually brings his son to Jesus' disciples and says, my son is demon-possessed, will you pray for him? And they utterly fail, which is very human of them. You're one of them too, so... Don't look down on the, on the disciples too much. Jesus comes and he figures out what's going on and the father cries out to Jesus for help. And Jesus says, how long has your son been like this? And in Mark 9, 21, the father responds to Jesus and says, from childhood. And many times it has thrown him into the fire and water to destroy him. But if, if you can do anything, listen to this phrase, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can. That's where I put the inflection. I think I'm right about that. That the inflection is, if you can. Everything is possible for the one who acts perfectly according to the way your pastor tells you to dress and behave and act and look and speak and do the things you're supposed to do. What's that old statement? Do what you're supposed to do. Like, uh, don't, don't, yeah, that thing. It's bad theology. <laughs> so I couldn't remember it. Jesus goes on uh, in this moment to take action. It says, uh, so immediately the, boy, the father of the boy cries out. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Keep that thought in your mind. When Jesus saw that the crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came. I love how Jesus handles all the business. Like, get out and don't come back. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy came, uh, became like a corpse, so that, uh, so that many said he is dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. So Je Jesus delivers the boy. I mean, that is baller status, right? This is awesome that Jesus actually delivers the boy from the demon. And it was so radical that the boy, it, he becomes like dead. And Jesus, just by his physical presence, his touch, was able to raise him back to life. That's profound. But notice that Jesus did this work of a miracle in the face of a muddy confession of belief. I mean, to say the least, this was half a confession, right? I believe. Help my unbelief. And depending on how you understand confession, it's the most honest confession, right? Jesus goes, do you think I could do it? And the dad goes, I'm not sure. <laughs> but I'm here. Isn't that enough? And as if Jesus said, yes. That is enough. He delivers the boy from the demon so radically. In public, by the way, there was a crowd gathering. Sometimes I wonder if when a crowd gathers and Jesus does a miracle, he goes, yes, all right. This one's going to be good. I don't know. I'm making that up. But we'll watch the movie later. 
I just, I love the idea that when my religion expects Jesus to say, I can't do a miracle in the face of doubt, Jesus has compassion on the doubter. And he actually seems to embrace the degree of present, the, uh, the degree of belief that was present. Just whatever degree of belief is there. It's just a little bit. It's almost like the scriptures mean it when it says faith the size of a mustard seed could move a mountain. Right? Now, all of this said, it might help for us to pause for a moment and, and make sure we know the difference between a statement that is affirmative and formative. Say affirmative. An affirmative statement is the kind of thing that we say because I fully agree with every detail of it, and, and it fully agrees with the way I'm currently living my life. A formative statement, on the other hand, is the kind of thing that we say because I want it to shape my life, and I want to believe everything that God invites me to believe. And, and something of the Apostles' Creed and just our general confession of faith of any kind should be both affirmative, blended with something that is formative. In other words, because we live in, maybe you've heard this expression, we live in a now and not yet kind of kingdom. That I know that I am saved, and as Paul says, I am saved, have been saved, and am being saved. That there's something to my life that I was saved and then I'm also being sanctified. And that God understands that just because I put my faith in Jesus when I was a four-year-old boy, that now at 38, there are still some things being worked out in my have been saved, am saved, and am being saved. And if that makes me a bad pastor, there's some great churches around town, but I think at the very least it makes me human. And that Jesus would do a work with that. And I'll tell you, in my personal experience, some of the most dynamic Sunday mornings we've ever had are the days where I've showed up and just been like, God, I am so wildly unworthy, and you know all of the reasons why. Please don't tell anybody, God, but would you just do something in spite of the fact that I'm not sure that I believe anything good can come if these guys keep letting me preach the word. And then God moves. In the middle of my unbelief. In the, in the middle of it. In the middle of my unbelief. Statements of confession are declarations just as much as they are prayers. God, I believe. God, I want to believe. Which, by the way, this is why we say amen at the end, end, at the end of the Apostles' Creed. Amen is the word that means let it be. We say all of these things. God, I believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Let it be. Amen. Yes, God, I want to believe that more and more. And furthermore, it would be important to drill down here just a little bit and say it is important to note that belief is not synonymous with behave. We do not behave your way into Christian faith. Now, belief should and if genuine absolutely will shape the way that I live. The more I believe, the more I live into belief, the less I want to sin. And over time, I'm getting better and better at not doing those things. Praise God. There's also some moments that there was like sin in my life, and just because God is amazing, it just gets completely set free, and I've never been tempted in ways that I used to be tempted because of the dynamic, delivering power of the name of Jesus. But then I'm also like free and being free and being set free. Amen? Okay, so... If I confess belief in something, that, that certainly leads to a better way of living. Yes? Okay. But if I never confess it, because I don't already live it, that, that's like illogical. It doesn't actually, it, we think that it makes sense. Well, I, I'm not going to say that I believe if I don't fully live into the things that people who believe live into. But how else will you live into a thing that you never say you believe? 
I'll just remain stuck in the same spiral of brokenness and self-pitiful reflection that the rest of the world is trapped in. Saying that I believe does not magically make me a better person, but it does inspire me to be the kind of person who says I believe because I'm formed by the Most High God. So I say I believe because I believe it and I want to believe it. And I say I believe because my belief has shaped my life and I want it to continue to shape my life. Okay, now having wrestled with belief, you can all write an essay on that. Uh, let, let's, let's talk about a little bit uh, the next part of this first statement of the Apostles' Creed. It says that I believe in, it begins with I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, this actually takes our, our faith and, and zeroes it in. It puts a focus. It's not just generic belief, right? It puts a focus on it. Now, the modern and somewhat problematic philosopher, Jay-Z, once said, <laughs> belief in oneself and knowing who you are, I mean, that's the foundation for everything great. That is the first and probably last time Jay-Z's name was, is ever going to show up on that screen. <laughs> Soak it in, people. <laughs> now, Jay-Z actually does understand something here. He's, got, he's, he's on to something. He's on to the potential power of belief, that belief in something does drive us to action, that belief has an impact on our life. If, if you've studied faith in any meaningful way, then you know that faith is the action we take because of the belief that we hold, right? As Hebrews 11 one says, that, the, that belief or faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. It's that old preacher illustration that's uh, tired, but we keep breaking it out every time we talk about faith because it's so helpful and clear that faith is not knowing the chair will hold me up. Faith is sitting in the chair because I know it will hold me up, right? Faith is the sitting, right? And so Jay-Z knows faith and belief is very powerful. Belief is, I agree with Jay-Z here. Belief is the foundation for everything great. But unfortunately, Jay-Z fails to understand the danger of belief that is self-centered. Right? Because you become like what you believe in. However perfect or however flawed the recipient of your belief happens to be. So building a life based on self-belief is only sustainable if you never fail. If you happen to be perfect, believe in you. Furthermore, belief always produces worship. You worship what you believe in. Worship shows up in very small ways, right? I believe in the English national football team. So I wear this jacket. They fail me every four years. <laughs> Despite my strong belief. No. He said change teams. How dare you? <laughs> but belief produces worship. This is a form of worship. I put on the thing that gives honor and praise and gratitude to the team, right? Look, you, you just got religious if you're like, did you just say you worship the English national football team? Don't be religious. Understand the point I'm making. You worship. We worship at the altar of the things we give our belief to. We do. We do. And so long as your belief doesn't drive you away from God, be a Lakers fan. It, my belief in the Lakers has driven me to prayer. <laughs> so it's a healthy practice for me. Some of you are going to be praying later today, right? My friend Phil is a massive uh, Eagles fan. He's a man of prayer. He's a, he's a man of prayer. We'll see if he ever gets his prayers answered. I don't know. But belief that is centered in self, listen to this, if, if belief does produce worship, a kind of worship, when we're talking about, like, now we're talking about big worship, right? Meaningful worship. 
Belief that is centered on self produces worship that is aimed at self. Now, that statement just described everything about the world we live in. Belief that is centered on self quickly produces worship that is aimed at self. So we build worlds designed to worship the self, designed to make our God comfortable. Because we love some us. And we will worship some me. Right? By the way, Scripture calls that idolatry. You shall have no other gods before me, says the Lord. So, to say that I believe in God is equally to say that I do not believe in any other God, including yourself. Including making yourself the authority of your own life. To say that you are in control of your life is idolatry. It is a form of worship. And it is a resistance against the statement, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. And myself, creator of me, so I submit my life. Right? Okay. So now we got to talk about who we say we believe in. We talked about belief. Who do we say we believe in? We begin by saying we believe in God the Father. Let's talk about God the Father. I'm not going to give you the, the full theology 101 or 201 on this. Let me just give you a couple things. Here are two Two things, there are others, I'm going to miss some, write me emails, but uh, there are at least two things, there are two things I want to share with you, two things you must know about God the Father. Number one, the Father is the first person of the Trinity. Say Trinity. The Trinity is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is the three persons co-equal, sharing in power and authority God, the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are co-equals. They are all three of them God. One is not better than the other, except we call God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. Just for clarification, when we say God is the first person of the Trinity, we don't mean he's the best. Like he walks around with a gold medal and the other two suckers are like, man, I wish I could be like the dad. It's not like that at all. They are co-equal. And yet we say that God is, the Father is first. We say this because his work comes first, Isaiah 42, verse 5. God, the Lord, created, that was the first work, created the heavens and earth and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. The only things that God, did not, that, that God the Father did not create was the Son and the Holy Spirit because they are equally God. Everything else created by the Father. That was the first work. The Father takes responsibility for that work. Secondly, we say that he is the first person because he's in charge. Though they are co-equal and share all authority, the Son and the Holy Spirit willfully, joyfully submit to the Father calling the shots. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6 says, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and living through all. So for us, certainly, as far as we are absolutely concerned, God the Father is the first person of the Trinity, has all authority. And we would be wise to take the lead from Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who willfully and joyfully submit their will to the Father. Which isn't a knock on our status, just like it's not a knock on Jesus' status. Amen? So the Father has the first and the final say on everything. The Son and the Holy Spirit were heavily involved in all of creation, but they submit to the, God, to, to the first person of the Godhead, to the Father. And then the second thing will be easier for me to explain to you is that the Father is the Father of all creation. That's why we call him Father. In fact, in Malachi uh, chapter 2, verse 10, we've talked about creation a little bit, but it says, are we not all children of the same Father? Are we not all created by the same God? He gets to be called Father because he made you. And he's Father over all creation because he made all creation. Amen? Now, as Father, as we dig a little bit more into who it is we say we believe, here are three truths about God in the way that he works, his role and his function. Number one, God is the source and originator of love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, But anyone who does not love God, or does not love, does not know God. For God is really a big fan of love. 
No, he is love. Without God, there is no such thing as love. God is love. He didn't just create it. Number two, second thing that is true about God's work. God is the source of true identity. Do you know that there's a difference between identity and your real identity? Right? So God was actively involved in your, in your creation. Not all of creation alone, but in making you. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, it says, You, this is speaking to God the Father. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Thank you for making the people around me so wonderfully complex as well, God. Maybe that verse should come back around. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. It goes on. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. So God was involved in making you just the way he made you. Which, by the way, is different than the way the world thinks that you were made. Right? That I was born this way, or just deal with the way that I am, or I'm just being my truest self. Most of that is, as my friend A.J. Swoboda says, a hot pile of garbage. Most of that is a hot pile of garbage because the world can put an identity on you, but only the one who made you can craft an identity into you. And there is a difference. There is a difference. This is why we call him our father, because he gave us an identity. Like God told Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. God has the ability to create an identity and weave it into your being before you are even born. The world can come along and put something on you that does not fit, but only God the Father has put something in you. Amen? Third, third thing that is true about God's work as we are, as preachers say, moving towards a close. You get to decide what that means. The third thing is this. God sets every person's purpose in motion and in order. He's given you an identity, and he has set in motion a purpose for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God is engaged in a purpose for your life. And Ephesians 2, 10 says, For we are his workmanship. I love the translations that say we are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, before you were even born, so that we should walk in them. So when I say I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I am making some pretty significant claims. I'm making a claim about the nature of God, and I'm making a claim about the nature of our relationship with God, right? And all of these claims are actually pretty radical among Christian belief. Did you know that it was pretty common for people to believe and to refer to God, even, even the other false gods, they would refer to God as Father, like in a, in a, in, in like a you know, created everything sort of sense. But the, the theologian William Barclay in, in a book called The Apostles' Creed for Everyone, he actually says that even though many people would actually refer to God in a paternity sense, he says, seldom if ever did they think of God as father in the fatherhood sense of the term, with all of its intimate love and fellowship. The idea of God as father has become commonplace in religion, but it was far from commonplace when Jesus first brought it to men. It was not a religious cliche, but a religious revelation. So while referring to God as Father is not completely unique to Christianity, the degree of intimacy in the relationship between God and man in Christian faith is absolutely seen in Scripture and in Christian belief. To say, I believe in God the Father, is to confess faith in a God who loves us and chose us to be his children. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So God being our Father brings God pleasure, and hopefully, if you understand it right, it will bring us great pleasure as well. Amen? 
God goes so far, actually, as to not only just adopt us, but then to say to all of these adopted children, I want you to call me Father, and I want you to call me Father not just like Father, but in the most intimate sense. In fact, Scripture uses on multiple occasions one of the most intimate terms for Father. It's the term Abba. And I love the fact that as I was setting up this point, several of you got there earlier than I did, and you already said the word Abba. I saw you do it, Celia. Saw it. Bree. Abba. You know what Abba means? It means daddy. Papa. Not like the Stranger Things version of Papa, but like Papa. My wife has not seen that show. Daddy. Daddy God. Listen to how it comes in Scripture. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. Hello. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Notice that Jesus doesn't invite us to call him a taskmaster or boss. He says, instead you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy God. I love the Christians that are weird enough to walk around and call God Daddy. It creeps me out sometimes until like my brain catches up to what they're doing. And I go, oh, you're just being intimate, like we were invited to. I'm not telling you at Life Church that you need to be walking around going, I was talking to Daddy the other day. It's a, it, you know that's a little strange, right? But I do invite you into that kind of relationship. And who cares about my invitation? The Father invites you into that kind of relationship, right? Listen to another place in Scripture where we hear this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then God has made you an heir goes on to mean this intimate relationship produces the kind of setup in our relationship with God where we get everything Jesus gets. Which if that doesn't blow your mind, then your understanding of God is too small. And I invite you to think about the implication of being an heir with God and the creator of heaven and earth. God Almighty says to you, I will give you everything I give to my son. <laughs> to say that I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, is not to put my belief in an aloof or distant God. It's to say what the psalmist said in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is my refuge, my strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. And by the way, if it's not clear by now, the only way we get any of this relationship is through Jesus. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we get to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen? So, we believe in God the Father, and this Father, God, is the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. Which is a good reminder that while we get to be very familiar with this God, we get to call him Daddy God, to, to your pleasure, in public or private. Daddy God, Papa God. It would be wise of us to remember that this Daddy, this Papa, this intimate Father is also the most powerful, and I would say in the most appropriate way possible, the most terrifying being in all of existence. Like we're talking about the God who intimately loves you and, adopt, and adopted you and calls you an heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ himself, loves you so much that he broke the barrier between God and mankind because he just wants to be with you. And this is also the God that in the Old Testament told us that if you look at me, you will straight up just die. This is that God. This is the God that is so majestic that there are angels flying around his throne in the heavenly throne room right now for all of time, having just sung, holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord. And His majesty is so great that angels cannot even bear to peek at Him in the throne room. So they cover their eyes with their wings. This is that God as much as it is this intimate, close to me God. We would be wise to remember that we are invited to say, I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. Consider Isaiah 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. Or later on, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As much as God invites us to the relational warm fuzzies, and you should embrace that, we would be wise to remember he is the highest of all beings from whom all creation came into existence. The purpose of the Apostles' Creed is to give language to a concise confession of the essential beliefs of Christian faith. So that we can successfully know, hold on to, and be shaped by what we believe. Remember that this is not just a religious idea. As A.W. Tozer once wrote in The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into your mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So then we return to Jesus' invitation related to our belief in John chapter 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 6, Jesus continues by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. Two questions that I propose for you today. Simply this, number one, do you believe? Do you believe? If the answer to that question is yes, and sometimes no, then you are welcome here. Do you believe? Second question. Do you know the Father and the Son? And that's the question, not just do you understand it, but do you relationally know the Father and the Son? The intimacy of that should be so close to your heart that I cannot possibly know the answer to that except by looking at the fruit of your life, the evidence of your life. I, I can guess. But I can also guess because I am one of you that there are places that you would say, yes, I know the Father and the Son intimately and relationally and no. There are places in my heart that I struggle to know the Father and the Son. And Jesus says, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. Today, we're going to begin a practice that we will continue for the rest of this series. We're going to end all of these sermons confessing the Apostles' Creed, praying the Apostles' Creed together. Now, as you do that, my prayer for you is that your belief will increase. I, I hope that something about these words will increase belief in your life. I, I hope also and pray that your relationship will, with God will gain deeper roots 
as we're told to put our roots deep down into Christ and build our entire life up on the foundation of Jesus. I pray that your life will be impacted and shaped by a rich belief in the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. Now, as we say this creed, I said this at the beginning, but as we say it today and for the rest of our time during this series, we will, instead of using the word Catholic, we'll use the word Christian, so you'll see that on the screen this time around. I invite you to say uh, as we put it on the screen for you. And then also as we, as we end the creed, uh, we'll, we'll say the word amen. Remember that word means let it be. We are ending a moment of prayer. Uh, I would like then, I'd be honored if uh, you would receive a blessing. Uh, I'd like to pray a blessing over you. Uh, and, then, and then you're going to be dismissed. But my, my challenge to you, if I could give you a homework assignment, um, is on your way out. As you, maybe you want to sit here or stand up and go and, and, and get your kids and, and go get ready to watch a, a, a game and, and eat some snacks and, and have fun and, and enjoy the kingdom together with your friends and, and do all of that later. As you go, the challenge is this. Find a way to talk to a neighbor about something that you learned today. We've been doing it here kind of in the room before you get up, but my invitation is go do that communally as you go today. Go talk about what you learned today. Jesus, as we come, Father, Holy Spirit, as we come to these words that are inspired by Scripture, would this written prayer be a gift to our hearts? today and for this series and for the rest of our lives, that, that God, we, we want so much of our lives to be rooted in, in the Word of God. And as we pray this prayer together, can make this confession together, would you work out what needs to be worked out in us? And would you invite us and would you give us peace that passes understanding? Would you meet us in this series and in this place, in our coming and in our going? Friends, I, I would love to invite you to stand with me as we pray this prayer. If you are physically able to stand and if you would like to pray this with us as a declaration, a confession, and a prayer, then uh, we will read off the screen together today the Apostles' Creed. Let's, let's pray. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May you, friends, be rooted deeply in God the Father. May your life be shaped by the belief that you are called a child of the Most High God, May the Father's love go with you now, filling your heart and mind, overflowing to others through your words and actions. May you be so blessed, and may you, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, be a blessing. Amen.